So this, this morning I was thinking about um, leg day. So the past year, really, I've really struggled with uh, some sciatic pain. And as I've talked to more people about my things, it's a, it's a pretty common thing, I guess. Uh, for some reason, I'm um, missing the first page of my notes. That's why I'm kind of turned around. So anyway, um, sorry, I'm, I'm lost here. So anyway, um, yeah. So sorry, I'm kind of lost. Uh, so I've been dealing with some sciatic pain, and, and Korea and I were we went away for, for Valentine's Day. We went up to what, Central City, and the Valentine's Day was what Thursday. So we went up like Monday, Monday kind of midday morning. And, uh, and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, my legs had kind of been bothering me, and it kind of felt like it coming on. And I was trying to do everything I could to, to prevent it. So, you know, I was taking some Flexrol, which is like a muscle relaxer, stretching, you know, trying to uh, take some ibuprofen, and just kept, kept tightening up and tightening up. Even we went up and did the hot springs. Um, we did, went and did the hot springs at Idaho Springs that Wednesday morning. So I was sitting, in the, and then it's still just nothing helped. I even brought some like Percocet, because uh, you know I have connections there. I'm not gonna say. <laughs> so I had some Percocet, but by the time we got up to where was it, Ameristar? I mean, I was just completely locked up, and we had to do this. You know, Ameristar is like this huge, well, for for Central City, this huge casino hotel, and like she dropped me off at the entrance still. And she went and parked the car, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I have to figure out how to make my way from here to like the elevator. So I was like, I was literally like, oh. you know, just the whole way across, just stopping every couple of steps, just like writhing in pain. So eventually I got up to the, got to the elevator, suffered my way to the room, just crashed in the bed. And I'm like, this is, this is not a good situation. Like, I just could not move without just writhing in pain. And, um, you know, eventually, I'm like, if we're going to do anything today, like, you're going to have to push me around. So uh, our Wednesday night consisted of her pushing me around on the casino floor, losing $50 rather quickly, and then going back up to her room. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it, we had more exciting plan, but uh, unfortunately it didn't work out. So, you know, obviously the next day I went and saw like the sports massage therapist. I saw uh, the chiropractor that Friday, and I think like that Monday I saw my primary care doctor to try to get something figured out to help this. And eventually by then it loosened up, and that's kind of what happens for me. is like, like I get super tight, and then it just, it just goes away on its own. It just feels like a really bad muscle cramp after the fact. So I was talking to uh, my, my primary doc, referred me to a sports medicine doc, and I was talking to him this last week, and he said something that I hadn't really considered. He said, the problem, or as he diagnosed, he said, he, he said I think the problem is maybe is your legs are too weak. You need to get back to doing, uh, go back one, you need to go back to doing leg days. And I hadn't, you know, for the last uh, for the last year since I started having these problems, I very much skipped leg days because, like, I felt like my legs were too weak to handle the weak, 
leg days, and I felt like I'd make things worse if I'd um, do leg days. Now, I found these memes online. Leg days are universally hated in the exercise world, and leg days really refers to any kind of, like, you know, below-the-waist exercise, like uh, squats and lunges and all the things that I hate doing. I did leg day yesterday, and I'm actually not feeling too bad. I'm surprised, but last Saturday, I did my first leg day in a long time, and that's part of the reason I canceled church on. <laughs> I couldn't move. So, you know, these jokes about going to work after leg day, sitting on the toilet after leg day, and then get old Ricky Bobby. Dear sweet baby Jesus, it's been two days since my last leg worked out. Please take the leg day pain away. So leg day is almost universally hated in, by most gym enthusiasts because it, it's hard. Like it, it uh, really is it's hard to do, um, to get into. And, uh, but the problem is if you skip leg day, uh, you kind of end up out of balance. Like, now here's these memes. I don't know if you can see these, but look at these guys. They're just like these huge buff guys, and they got chicken legs here. So I know we're kind of body shaming here, but these are white men. They can handle it, right? Um, so <laughs> the point is not to skip leg day. Good friends don't let friends skip leg day. Um, and it's, it's no wonder we skip leg day because it's not comfortable. Like, you can, you can go through most of the day like yesterday, uh, or Friday I did, because my, this, my doctor, the, the sports medicine doctor, um, he had a trainer come in and give me this whole exercise plan, and I had to even cut that exercise plan, like, tear it down, I'm like, I can't do that. So like Friday, Friday I did like chest and back, and like Saturday I was like, oh, sore. But you can go through most of the day without like really, you know, using this, but man, how do you, it's hard to move without using your legs much. Um, so it's no wonder, like, we skip leg day because it's, it's hard, and it's, it's no wonder, like, so much that leg day is uncomfortable. And uh, so much of our modern life, con- conversely, is, is built to make us comfortable. And, you know, for good reason, you could say. We have our adjustable memory foam mass- mattresses. Um, we have our climate-controlled living conditions. We have, you know... Um, water, hot water, turn of a turn of a nozzle, and most of the time, heat that kicks on. Um, so modern life is pretty cushy, and when it's not cushy, we don't notice. Like this last week before, when it was like you know in single digits every day, uh, my heater, where the exhaust and inlet comes in on the outside, was like clogging up. So we we wake up in the morning, and like our house would be like in the 50s, and you notice when you, you don't have those climate-controlled luxuries. So uh, we've made modern life pretty comfortable, and for good reason. But it seems like often that that uh, strive for comfortableness has made its way into our religion as well, our Christianity. And it seems like so much of Christianity today is about making us feel comfortable, making us feel good. Now, I'm not saying that we should be doing, as perhaps you've seen about or read about, of like, like... Some people for, for Lent and, you know, for, as religious exercise, some people will, you've probably seen this, they'll go and like crawl on their knees. I'm not going to do it because it, you know, it hurts. You know, they'll crawl on their knees, cross this pavement, or they'll whip themselves in the back. And I'm not saying we need to do that to make our, our religion more uncomfortable. But it, it does seem that, that modern Christianity has become about 
making ourselves feel as comfortable as possible. You know, we're taught that, uh, and these are, these are book titles I found, I declare to think better and to live better. By the power of me, I can become a better me, and I can have my best life now. I can and I will. Those are all like book titles from a certain author I will not name. <laughs> Such an attitude, though, does not leave a lot of room for discomfort. It doesn't leave a lot of room for doubt. If anything, I, I think doubt is the opposite of comfort. Uncertainty, misgivings certainly don't speak to a life of comfort and of ease. Perhaps, that, that's, perhaps that's why we're taught uh, generally as Christians to avoid doubt like it's the plague, like it's something we don't want to do. We're taught to like, avoid lake day. For as long as I can remember, at least, for me growing up, Doubt was something to be seen, that to, to be put away from, to be avoided at all costs, and that instead we should strive for a rock-solid assurance of our beliefs, knowing always who we are and what we're about, never leaving room for any doubt or uncertainty in the life of faith. Now, as logical as that seems on the surface, I'd like to suggest that what we should do is actually the opposite. Rather than avoid and push away from doubt, I think doubt is something we should step into, wrestle with, and engage. This willingness to engage doubt is, I think, far more consistent than what we see in the Bible. So as as Paul alluded to, today is the first day of Lent. And Lent is a season in the Christian calendar, a time that starts with Ash Wednesday and lasts for 40 days, not counting Sundays, ending with Easter Sunday. As Paul kind of hinted to Trinit, excuse me, uh, Lent is usually a time to re-examine, re-evaluate, recommit ourselves and our lives to following the way of Jesus. Now the 40 days draws off tradition in the Bible of uh, the number 40 being a time of trial and, and testing and challenge. So the ancient Israelites in the Old Testament were said to have journeyed in the desert for 40 years. Moses, the ancient uh, leader of Israelites, was up on the mountaintop for 40 days. Elijah, another ancient prophet, was fasting in the desert for 40 days. And of course, Jesus himself went out into the wilderness for 40 days to fast. Let's, uh, and let's read that passage today. So that's what we're talking about, is Jesus' time of 40 days here in the desert. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Uh, I have it here on the screen, and I'm reading from the message, uh, if you'd like to follow along. It says, now, uh, now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For forty wilderness days and nights he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when, he was, uh, when the time was up, he was understandably hungry. The devil, playing on his hunger, gave the first test. He said, Since you're God's son, command the stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, It takes more than bread to really live. For the second test, he led him up and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. Then the devil said, They're yours in all their splendor to serve your pleasure. 
I'm in charge of them all and can turn them over to whomever I wish. Worship me and they're yours, the whole works. Jesus refused, again backing his refusal with Deuteronomy. He quoted, Worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. For the third test, the devil took him up to Jerusalem and put him on, the, on top of the temple. He said, If you are God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it, that he has placed you in the care of his angels to protect you. They will catch you. You won't so much stub your toe on a stone. Yes, you said, and it's also written, don't you dare tempt the Lord your God. This completed the testing, and the devil retreated temporarily, lying in wait for another opportunity. So it's an interesting passage. Jesus is in the desert. It seems like at the end of 40 days, and the devil comes, laying these, these three opportunities now, we're only recorded three opportunities. Some people have mused that perhaps there are more temptations or challenges that Jesus faced all along. And what I find interesting about this passage, about the story, about this encounter that Jesus has is that while in modern Christianity we're kind of taught to avoid our, our doubts like the devil, if you will, it seems that, according to the Bible, we should be doing the exact opposite. For in this passage, Jesus comes face to face with, according to the passage, the devil in the wilderness or in the desert. And what's interesting that is, while we think about, uh, in our ideas, modern life, we think of desert or wilderness as being this barren wasteland. In biblical story, in biblical tradition, uh, going into the desert for, for, for biblical characters again and again was this time where they found to be this fruitful endeavor in which they experienced God in new ways. So it's like this, this way of going into the desert, what was seemed to be this barren wasteland, was for them an opportunity to experience God in a whole new way. Um, Moses, he went up to the mountain for 40 days. And the Bible says that he saw God. Elijah also went 40 days into the wilderness, and it was really for him this time of doubt and questioning who he was and what he was called to and what his mission was about. And God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice and said, you're not alone, I'm with you. Hagar, how many of you remember uh, or heard this woman named Hagar? Hagar was, uh, what, was this, what was she, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? can't think of it. She was a, a servant. Uh, what's that? Yes, thank you. She was a surrogate to Abraham's wife, Sarah, and um, uh, these Abraham and Sarah, these Old Testament biblical figures. Uh, Sarah, the wife, gets jealous because Abraham bears his, a child through uh, Hagar, the surrogate, and Sarah's like, let's kick her out into the desert. So Imagine, you know, Hagar is out in the wilderness, in the desert, alone with her newborn baby, and she sits down behind a bush and just like, I'm going to die, my child's going to die. And God comes and speaks to her in the desert, and Hagar is, in the, in the Bible, the first person to name God. So this, this, this incredible time that should have been just disaster for her was for her this amazing experience of experiencing God in a new way. 
So I think, I think what this says is that in times of doubt and uncertainty, these biblical characters dove deeper into their doubts, deeper into their uncertainty, and experienced God in a whole new way. And here in the story we read from Luke, Jesus does the same thing in the wilderness confronted with, you might say, uh, we might say in modern vernacular, his demons. So whether or not we think, whether or not how we feel about the story, whether we think there was a literal devil, or whether we think there even is a literal devil, we all, I think, would agree that there is temptations that arise and challenge, and Jesus was confronted that day with some temptations to settle for a risk-free, comfortable life. He was hungry, just turned stone into bread. He wanted to be worshipped. The devil could give him all everything. He wanted to be safe. The devil could ensure it. As this, as this experience occurred at the beginning of Jesus' Jesus's ministry, as they say, it literally came right after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, and the, the Holy Spirit, it said, came down in the form of a dove, and Jesus heard the voice of God saying, You are my Son, I affirm you, I love you. Jesus is faced after that moment with a choice whether he's going to go live a risk-free, safe life or to take the easy way out and to choose fame and power, comfort and ease, or to choose the path, to follow the path that God had called him to, that he probably knew where it was going. He knew where it was ending. That same choice we make at the beginning of Lent when we receive the ashes, knowing where this leads. But in in accepting that challenge, in dealing with those doubts and wrestling with his uncertainties, Jesus experienced a I don't I don't want to say a certainty but an assurance, kind of like what, what Paul sung with us here, that God is good, that God is never going to let him down, that God is going to be with him through it all. And that's not to say that those doubts for Jesus, I think, never flared up again. I mean, it seems so weird to say that, right, that Jesus doubted. But it's true. In the biblical story, we remember at the, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus is up on the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, he's praying, God, please let this, pass cup, please let this cup pass from me. He's saying, Jesus, if there's another way, please let there be, or God, if there's another way, Jesus is saying, please let there be another way. When Jesus is on the cross, the Bible says that God was on, Jesus said to God, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? I mean, if ever there was a moment of doubt, at the end, Jesus is wondering, God, is this, is this what you wanted? Was it all worth it? There can be no doubt that Jesus had his doubts, I think. But I think what's also clear is that those doubts did not stop Jesus from living into that mission that he had been called to, that God had given him. And I think this is one thing we must be clear on, that fear is not the absence of doubt. Or, I'm sorry, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is continuing to follow in spite of the doubts. 
In these weeks leading up to Easter, in this time of Lent, we're going to be going through a series called Doubt, looking at some of the questions, common questions we have about ourselves and about God. What if I'm alone in this? What if I'm not spiritual enough? What if I'm not good enough? What if I have a past? What if God doesn't love me? I can't promise you it will be comfortable or easy. But in dealing with our doubts, in wrestling with our uncertainty, and examining our misgivings, I think you can experience, and we can experience together, an assurance of our mission and our purpose. And again, that's not to say that doubts will never flare again. I think this is one thing we must be clear on, that faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is continuing on in spite of the doubts or carrying with us those doubts. But I think this is the thing. It's, it's kind of like leg day. When you exercise those, when you exercise your doubts, when you give in, dive into your doubts and, and examine them, you become stronger. Your faith becomes stronger. And it's not that those doubts go away, because let's be honest, new doubts come up. But our faith is stronger. We're able to carry and deal with those doubts. Those doubts don't destroy our faith. They don't wreck our faith. They don't pull us off mission, off purpose. Because we've strengthened ourselves and we strengthen our faith. You know, I, I grew up uh, in a very conservative Christian home and very conservative Christian faith. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people for whom are very happy and fulfilled in those life that that kind of uh, faith. So I don't want to I don't want to insult or belittle that faith. But I, I for me anyway, I remember that there was so much concern or anxiety about having doubts to begin with that we were just taught to avoid them like the plague. Like if we ever gave into doubt or thought about doubt or allowed for doubt to exist, it would just take over because our faith wasn't... And I think as a result, like, when doubts came, it just, it just wrecked people's faith entirely because they were just avoiding them so much that when they came, they just, it just wrecked it. And I see it, I see it on the internet, on Facebook, in these different groups that I'm part of. The people who have, have not been given the opportunity to explore and examine their doubts, when those doubts come up, rather than being able or equipped or trained to handle those doubts and explore those doubts and give an opportunity and, and provide a safe space, those doubts just tear them apart and they leave it all together. Which, again, I, I think is a shame. So I think that doubt is something we must engage. It's something we must deal with. It's something we must acknowledge. And, and we shouldn't be afraid to share. So ultimately, I think that Lent, this time of Lent, is an invitation. It's an invitation for us to take a deeper look at ourselves, knowing it will be uncomfortable, knowing like leg day, we might be sore for a couple days or a couple of weeks, but knowing in the end our faith will end up stronger. And I think the good news, or at least what I see the good news why places like Mission Gathering are so important because 
we're providing a space for people to be real about their doubts. There are so many churches that if you'd walk in and be like, oh, I'm not sure about this all. I mean, they'd want to sit you down with the pastor right then and there and give you a counseling lesson and tell you, you know, take it or leave it. There are so many places of faith where there's just not space to be real about your doubts, whether about the Bible or about who God is or who Jesus is or how we feel about ourselves. And mission gathering is about being a place where you can be real with your doubts and carry on in spite of those doubts and find that when you do that, your faith grows stronger. If those doubts don't ever end, I wish, I wish they did, but I think to be real, I think, I think faith without doubt is not faith. I think faith, to be faith, you have to have doubt. So, Mission Gathering strives to be a place where you can be real with your doubts, where we can be real about our uncertainties, our misgivings, and we can support one another. And we can, uh, through our study groups, through our pub theology, even just together, uh, one-on-one over coffee, we're creating a place We're in acknowledging doubt. We're diving into that uncertainty like Elijah, like Moses, like Hagar. I think this is true. I've experienced this myself at least. When you dive into your doubts, when you dive into your uncertainty, when you go into the desert of your life, you come out, you experience God in new ways you would never imagined. So that's my prayer for this church that I think is our opportunity and our mission, one of our ways we can together provide people an opportunity to live out their faith, acknowledging their doubts, being real with their doubts, and walking forward in faith together. That's my prayer for us today, and that's my prayer for us as Mission Gathering going forward.